life of George Whitfield. From his arrival in Scotland in 1742 to his return to London the same year. A letter from Edinburgh, Sabbath, June 6, 1742. On Thursday last, our dear friend Mr. Whitfield returned to this place. To the great comfort of many honest Christians, especially of those to whom he was made a means of conviction and conversion when he was last here. He seems to have improved much in Christian knowledge. He is much refreshed with the accounts of the work of God in the West Country. I have heard him preach five excellent discourses, all calculated for the building up of Christians, though he never fails to put in a word for the conviction of sinners. And I think... I can say that I have never heard him without some influence attending his preaching, especially in private houses. Oh, may the impressions made on my heart never wear off, lest at any time I should be in danger of dropping my watch and becoming untender. Sabbath, October 17, 1742. It is a great recommendation of Mr. Whitfield to me that though the seceders give him every bad character that can be devised, namely that he is a sorcerer and so on, yet he takes it all patiently, and wherever he goes speaks well of them so far as he can, for none can approve of those gross parts of their conduct. Therefore these he chooses to cast a mantle of love over." End quote. George Whitfield embarked a second time for Scotland and arrived at Laith, June 3rd, 1742. But here it is proper to take a view of the state of things in that country upon his arrival. It had pleased God to bless his first visit to Scotland, not only for the conversion of particular persons and the comfort and quickening of private Christians, but to rouse them to more than ordinary concern about the salvation of their neighbors and to excite pious and conscientious ministers to greater diligence in their work. Prayers were put up with some degree of faith and hope that God would now give success to their labors and not allow them always to complain that they spent their strength in vain. Nor were these prayers long unanswered. For in the month of February 1742, an extraordinary religious concern began to appear publicly at Compuseline, and soon after at Kilsyth and other places, the news of which quickly spread through the land and engaged general attention. Of this, a just, though short, description is given in the letter just read, written by the Reverend Mr. Hamilton, then minister at the Barony Parish, now in the High Church of Glasgow, to Thomas Prince, minister of Boston. The following letter is dated September 13th, 1742, from Glasgow. We in the south and west of Scotland have great reason to join in thankfulness to God with you for the days of the Redeemer's power that we are favored with. Mr. Whitfield came to Scotland in the summer of 1741 for the first time, and in many places where he preached, his ministrations were evidently blessed, particularly in the cities of Edinburgh and Glasgow, where a considerable number of persons were brought under such impressions of religion as has never yet left them but they are still following on to know the Lord. However, this is the only beginning of far greater things, for about the middle of February last, a very great concern appeared among the people of Count Pusling, a small parish lying four miles southeast of Glasgow, under the pastoral inspection of the Reverend Mr. William McCulloch, a man of considerable parts and great piety. This concern appeared with some circumstances very unusual among us. 
to wit, several bodily agonies, outcryings, and faintings in the congregation. This made the report of it spread like fire and drew vast multitudes of people from all quarters to that place. And I believe in less than two months after the commencement of it, there were few parishes within twelve miles of Compuslang, but had some, more or fewer, awakened there to a very deep piercing sense of sin, and many at a much greater distance. I am verily persuaded with your brother Mr. Cooper in his preface to Mr. Jonathan Edwards' sermon that God has made use of these uncommon circumstances to make his work spread the faster. But, blessed be God, Compuslang is not the only place where these impressions are gotten. The same work has spread in another parishes and under their own ministers, particularly at Calder, Kilsyth, and Cumbernod, all to the north and northeast of Glasgow. And I doubt not that since the middle of February, when this work began at Campuslang, there were upwards of 2,000 persons awakened, and almost all of them, by the very best accounts I have, in a promising condition. There being very few instances of impostors, or such as have lost their impressions, and many whom we are bound to think are true scriptural converts are evidencing it by a suitable walk in conversation. There is evidently a greater seriousness and concern about religion appearing in most of our congregations informally, a greater desire after the word, people applying themselves more closely to their duty, and erecting new societies for prayer and spiritual conference which gives us a joyful prospect of a considerable enlargement of the Messiah's kingdom. My parish has likewise had some share in this good work. There have been above an hundred new communicants among them this summer who never did partake of the Blessed Sacrament before, which is five times as many as ever I admitted in any former year. Most of them were awakened at CompuSlang, some of them in their own church and in others. The impressions have been more gradual and not attended with those uncommon circumstances before mentioned. And it is to be observed that, before we admit any person to the Lord's table, we particularly examine them and are satisfied with their knowledge of the the principles of religion, of the nature and ends of the sacrament, and the impressions of religion they have on their minds. To the same purpose as the Reverend Mr. Willison's letter to Dr. Coleman, minister in Boston, dated Dundee, February 28, 1743. I must inform you a little of the work of God that has been begun here. I told you in my last that after Mr. Whitfield's first coming and preaching three months in Scotland, there were some beginnings of a revival of religion in some of our principal cities, as Edinburgh and Glasgow, which still continue an increase, especially since Mr. Whitfield's second coming in June last. But besides these cities, the Lord has been pleased to begin a work much like that in New England and several places in the west of Scotland. The first parish awakened was Compuslang, the next was the parish of Kilsyth, about nine miles northeast of Glasgow, and afterwards the parishes of Calder, Kirtillock, Cumbernog, Campfee, Kilmarnock, Garganock, and a great many others in the country. The awakenings of people have been, and a good many, attended without cryings, faintings, and bodily distresses. But in many more the work has proceeded with great calmness. But the effects in both sorts are alike good and desirable. And hitherto we hear nothing of their falling back from what they have professed at the beginning, and still we hear of some new parishes falling under great concern here and there, though the great cryings and outward distresses are much 
ceased. The Lord in this time of backsliding is willing to pity us and see our ways and heal them, however crooked and perverse they have been. Oh, shall not this wonderful step of divine condescension lead us all to repentance and to go out to meet a returning God in a way of humiliation and reformation? The magistrates and ministers in Edinburgh are beginning to set up societies for reformation of manners and new lectures on weekdays. May all our cities follow their example. There is a great increase of praying societies also in Edinburgh and other towns and villages, and in them they are keeping days of thanksgiving for the partial waterings the Lord is giving us. Those in Edinburgh send printed memorials to others through the nation to excite them to it. The greater strangers to religion could not avoid hearing of these things, but they were very differently affected with them. While some became more thoughtful and serious, many mocked, and some were even filled with rage. On the other hand, the temper and behavior of those who were the subjects of this remarkable work was the strongest of all arguments that it came from above. Their earnest desire to be rightly directed in the way to heaven, their tender and conscientious walk, their faithfulness in the duties of their station, and their readiness to make ample restitution for any act of injustice they had formerly committed, their disposition to judge mildly of others, but severely of themselves, their laying aside quarrels and lawsuits and desiring to be reconciled and live peaceably with all men, such amiable and heavenly qualities, especially when appearing in some, who had formerly been of a very opposite character, could not fail to strike every serious observer. In short, it was such a time for the revival of religion as had never before been seen in Scotland. The enmity which wicked and profane men discovered against this work, and the derision with which they treated it is no more than what might naturally be expected. But it is not so easy to account for the conduct of the seceders. These, not satisfied with forbearing to approve of it, went to length even to appoint a general fast among them, one of the grounds of which was the receiving Mr. Whitfield into Scotland, and another the delusion, as they called it, at Combieslang and other places. And Mr. Gibb, one of their ministers, wrote a pamphlet in vain against both in the most virulent language. Such was the bigotry and misguided zeal of the bulk of the party at that time. It is hoped their successors have juster views of this manner. But it is not proper here to enlarge upon this subject. With respect to Mr. Whitfield, the spring of their first opposition to him sufficiently appears from his conversation with them at Dunfermline, formerly mentioned, and the following letter which he wrote at Compuslang, August 1742, in which was afterward printed at Glasgow, gives an account of their objections and his answers, which are perfectly agreeable to the spirit of both. Quote, I heartily thank you for your concern about unworthy me. Though I am not very solicitous what the world says of me, yet I would not refuse to give anyone, much less a minister of Jesus Christ, and such a one as I take you to be, all reasonable satisfaction about any part of my doctrine or conduct. I am sorry that the associate presbytery, besides the other things exceptionable in the grounds of their late fast, have done me much wrong. As to what they say about the supremacy, my sentiments, as to the power and authority of the civil magistrate, as to sacred things agree with what is said in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, paragraphs 3 and 4, and I do own the Lord Jesus to be the blessed head and king of his church. 
the solemn league and covenant I never abjured, neither was it ever proposed to me to be abjured. And as for my missives, if the associate presbytery will be pleased to print them, the world will see that they had no reason to expect I would act in any other manner than I have done. With that, part of my experience is that sabers of the grossest enthusiasm I know not because it isn't specified. But this one thing I know, when I conversed with them, they were satisfied with the account I then gave of my experience, and also the validity of my mission. Only when they found I would preach the gospel promiscuously to all, and for every minister that would invite me, and not adhere only to them, one of them particularly said they were satisfied with all the other accounts which I gave of myself except of my call to Scotland at that time. They would have been glad of my help and have received me as a minister of Jesus Christ had I consented to have preached only at the invitation of them and their people. But I judged that to be contrary to the dictates of my conscience, and therefore I could not comply. I thought their foundation was too narrow for the high house to be built upon. I declared freely when last in Scotland, and am more and more convinced of it since, that they were building a babel. At the same time, they knew very well I was very far from being against all church government, for how can any church subsist without it? I only urge, as I do now, that since holy men differ so much about the outward form, we should bear with and forbear one another, though in this respect we are not of one mind. I have often declared in the most public manner that I believe the Church of Scotland to be the most constituted national church in the world. At the same time, I would bear with and converse freely with all others who do not err in fundamentals and who gave evidence that they are true lovers of the Lord Jesus. This is what I mean by a Catholic spirit. Not that I believe a Jew or pagan continuing such can be a true Christian or have true Christianity in them. And if there be anything tending that way in the late extract which I sent you, I utterly disavow it. And I am sure I observed no such thing in it when I published it, though upon a closer review some expressions seem justly exceptionable. You know how strongly I assert all the doctrines of grace as held forth in the Westminster Confession of Faith and doctrinal articles of the Church of England. These I trust I shall adhere to as long as I live, because I verily believe they are the truths of God, and have felt the power of them in my own heart. I am only concerned that good men should be guilty of such misrepresentations, but this teaches me more and more to exercise compassion toward all the children of God, and that we should be more jealous over our own hearts, knowing what fallible creatures we all are. I acknowledge that I am a poor blind sinner liable to err, and would be obliged to an enemy much more to so dear a friend as you are to point out to me my mistakes, as to my practice or unguarded expressions in my preaching or writing. At the same time, I would humble myself before my master for anything I may say or do amiss, and beg the influence and assistances of his blessed spirit, that I may say and do so no more, in quote, George Whitfield. So much for Mr. Whitfield's difference with the seceders. But notwithstanding all this, upon his second arrival in Scotland in June of 1742, he was received by great numbers, among whom were some persons of distinction, with much joy, and had a satisfaction of seeing and hearing more and more of the happy fruits of his ministry. 
At Edinburgh, he preached twice a day as usual in the hospital park, where a number of seats and shades in the form of an amphitheater were erected for the accommodation of his hearers. And in consequence of Vernus' invitations, he went to the West Country, particularly to Compuslang, where he preached no less than three times upon the very day of his arrival to a vast body of people, although he had preached that same morning at Glasgow. The last of these exercises he began at nine at night, continuing till eleven when he said he observed such a commotion among the people as he had never seen in America. Mr. McCulloch preached after him till past one in the morning, and even then could hardly persuade the people to depart. All night in the fields might be heard the voice of prayer and praise, as Mr. Whitfield was frequently a compuslang during the season. A description of what he observed there in different times will be best given in his own words. Quote, Persons from all parts flocked to see, and many from many parts went home convinced and converted unto God. A bray or hill near the manse at Compuslang seemed to be formed by Providence for containing a large congregation. People sat and wearied till two in the morning to hear sermons disregarding the weather. You could scarce walk a yard, but you must tread upon some, either rejoicing in God for mercies received or crying out for more. Thousands and thousands have I seen, before it was possible to catch it by sympathy, melted down under the word and power of God. At the celebration of the Holy Communion, their joy was so great that at the desire of many, both ministers and people, in imitation of Hezekiah's Passover, they had a month or two afterwards, a second which was a general rendezvous of the people of God. The communion table was in the field, three tents at proper distances, all surrounded with a multitude of hearers, above twenty ministers, among whom was good old Mr. Bonner, attending to preach and assist all enlivening and enlivened by one another, in quote, George Whitfield. Besides his labor at Glasgow and Pompeuslang, it is somewhat surprising to think how many other places in the west of Scotland he visited within the compass of a few weeks, preaching once or twice at every one of them, and at several three or four times. A gentleman of an irreproachable character thus wrote to the compiler April 8, 1771, when Mr. Whitfield was preaching at Carl Marnock. On the 23rd of August, 1742, from these words, And out of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. I thought I never heard such a sermon on the fullness of grace as is treasured up in Christ Jesus, and can truly say that I felt the efficacy of the Holy Spirit upon my soul during that discourse. I afterwards shut up myself in my chamber during the remaining part of the day, and before I laid myself down to rest, I made a solemn and serious dedication of myself to God. By way of covenant, extended and subscribed the same with my hands, and I think had communion with God in so doing, to which I have often had recourse since, and adhering thereto, and renewing thereof, though my life since has been attended with many backsliding from God, and I have been perfidious in his covenant, yet I still rejoice in his salvation through Christ, and it is refreshing to behold the place at this very day, as I have often done since, I, from the era above mentioned, always looked upon Mr. Whitfield as my spiritual father, and frequently heard him afterward in Edinburgh and Glasgow with much satisfaction. It always gave me joy, the mentioning of his name, and grieved me when he was reproached. And I can very well remember that when Cape 
Breton was taken, I happened to be then at Edinburgh, and being invited to breakfast with Mr. Whitfield, I never in all my life enjoyed such another breakfast. He gave the company a fine and lively descant upon a part of the world, made us all join in a hymn of praise and thanksgiving, and concluded with a most devout and fervent prayer. In the evening of that day he preached a most excellent thanksgiving sermon from the first two verses of the 126th Psalm. I never preached with so much apparent success before, wrote George Whitfield at Greenock, Irvin, Kilbred, Comonarch, and Stuberton. The concern was great. At the last three, very extraordinary. When he was at Edinburgh, he received accounts that the Spaniards had landed in Georgia. Upon this occasion, he wrote to Mr. Habersham, I'm glad my dear family is removed to Mr. Bryan's and rejoice that our glorious God has raised him and his brother up to be such friends in time of need. My thoughts have been variously exercised, but my heart kept steadfast and joyful in the Lord of all lords, whose mercy endures forever. I long to be with you, and methinks could willingly be found at the head of you, kneeling and praying, though a Spaniard's sword should be put to my throat. But alas, I know not how I should behave if put to the trial, only we have a promise that as our day is, so our strength shall be. The thoughts of divine love carry me above everything. My dear friend, the Spaniards cannot rob us of this, nor can men, nor devils. I humbly hope that I shall shortly hear the spiritual and temporal welfare of you all. And he was not disappointed, for a few weeks after he was informed of his family's safe return to Bethesda. About the end of October he left Scotland and rode post to London where he arrived in about five days.